Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 22. And uh, 22 weeks ago, we started going through the book of Leviticus, uh, taking a chapter a week. There are 27 chapters in the book, and we're about, after tonight, we'll be about five chapters away from being done. So that's good. And we've been learning a lot through the book of Leviticus. And uh, tonight, we're just going to go through and see what we can learn as we, as we make our way down. And uh, we'll start there in verse number one. For those of you that have taken notes, I'd encourage you to take notes. Uh, I'd like you to notice in the first five verses here, we learn about how to approach God, how to approach to God. Notice verse one. The Bible says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they, and the they there is referring to the priests. If you remember last week, we talked about standards for the priests. This is a continuation of that. It's more standards, more instructions for the priests. And he says that they separate themselves from the holy thing. Now, you would think the priests are supposed to be the ones handling the holy things. So why would he now be telling them that they should separate themselves from the holy things? And he's going to explain to them situations where they would have to separate themselves, where they would not be allowed to work in the priesthood or to do the things that God has called them to do. He says that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they profane, the word profane means not respectfully or irreverently, that they profane not my holy name in those things which they hollow unto me, I am the Lord. Say unto them, Whosoever he be of all your seed among your generations, that goeth unto the holy things with the children of Israel, uh, which the children of Israel hollow unto the Lord. Notice what it says having his uncleanness upon him. So see, he's telling the priest, you're supposed to work in the hallowed things. You're supposed to work in the holy things. You're supposed to be doing the work of the priesthood. But he says, if you yourself as a priest are unclean, then you have to separate yourself from these things. Notice what it says at the end of verse 3, that the soul shall be cut off from my presence. If you remember, we talked about the word cut off, meaning uh, separation. Sometimes they are cut off from the land, meaning they're put to death. But here he's saying, I'm going to cut you off. He said that the soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is, a, notice what he says, a leper. Because he says, if you approach in your uncleanness, you'll be cut off. That soul will be cut off from my presence. And then he tells them, here are the things that make you unclean. And this should be familiar to you as we've been studying the book of Leviticus. He says, uh, verse 24, what man soever of the seed of Aaron uh, is a leper, so if you're a leper, you're unclean, or have the running issue. Remember, we t- talked about the running issues where you have a, 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 a sore or you have some sort of a injury that keeps running either blood or you know different fluids or things like that. He shall not eat of the holy thing until he be clean. And whoso toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead or a man whose seed goeth from him or whosoever toucheth any creeping thing whereby he, be, he may be made unclean or a man of whom he may take uncleanness whatsoever uncleanness he hath. And it seems like he's really trying to make a point. If you're unclean, if you're unclean, don't approach unto the holy things. If you're unclean, I need you to cut off from the presence of the unholy things. If you're unclean, that they need to separate themselves from the holy things. Keep your place here in Leviticus 22. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go with me to the book of James and let me just show you a principle. And we can apply this as New Testament believers because of the fact that we've been saying this all throughout the book of Leviticus, that you and I are priests 
as New Testament believers, we've been made kings and priests unto God and His Father. And what God was telling the Levitical priests is when you're not clean, even though you're a priest, when you're not clean, there has to be a separation between you and I. And what we can learn is this, that when we approach a holy God, we must approach Him in a state of holiness or in a state of cleanliness. Now look, we understand that no, none of us are ever going to be holy and completely clean until we get to heaven. But the idea is this. If you want to approach God, if you want to get close to God, if you want to draw near to God, you must draw near in a state of cleanliness. He says, look, he's telling the Levitical priest, if you, if you have a sin, if you have leprosy, if, if, if you have a running issue, if you've touched something that's unclean, if you've touched a creeping thing, if you've touched a dead body, you're not clean. He said, you have to separate yourself. And look, in the same way as these Testament believers, sin will separate us from God, not in the sense of our salvation, but in the sense of our relationship when we attempt to draw to God. Uh, did you go to the book of James? I, I meant to tell you to go to James. James chapter 4. Look at verse 8. If you start at the end of the New Testament and you head back, you'll start at the book of Revelation. You'll have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James. James chapter number 4. Look at verse number 8. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Draw nigh to God. Now, that, that, hopefully that's your goal. I don't know why you'd be at a church like Verity Baptist Church on a Wednesday night if your goal was not to draw nigh to God. You want to draw close to God. You want to be near God. Now notice what he says. Draw nigh to God. Here's a good thing. Here's, what, here's a good thing about God. When you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Notice what it says. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You take a step towards God, he takes a step towards you. He is as interested as you are. He is as interested in being united with you and in fellowship with you and in relationship with you as you are. But I want you to notice the context. The context says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Then he makes these statements. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, what it comes down to is this. If you and I want to draw nigh to a holy God, we cannot draw nigh to God when our hands are dirty, when our hearts are puffed up. When He says, you got to uh, cleanse your hands and you got got to purify your heart. What is he talking about? He's talking about sin. And again, none of us will ever get to the point of sinless perfection. But when you have just outright blatant sin in your life that you're not dealing with or that you're ignoring, and look, it does it, whether it's alcohol, whether it's prescription drugs, whether it's pornography, whether it's adultery or fornication, or the things that you and I would look at and say, wow, that's bad, or whether it's things that maybe are a little more hidden, like pride, or like bitterness, or like, you know, selfishness, or envy, or whatever it might be. The truth is this, if you want to draw nigh to God, you have to draw nigh to Him with clean hands. He says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So in the first part of Leviticus, we see in the first part of this chapter, we see the idea of how to approach God. We approach God uh, by uh, purifying ourselves. Go, go back to Leviticus just real quickly. And let's talk about this, what we see in, in, in verses 6 there through, um, let me see my page here, 6 through 7. In verses 6 through 7, he talks to us about how to get right with God. Because in verses 1 through 5, he says, to approach God, you got to approach Him right. you got to approach Him clean. 
So in verses 6 through 7, he tells us there's a way to cleanse yourself. Notice verse number 6, Leviticus 22 and verse 6. I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says, the soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean. But notice, it's not a, it's not a perpetual state. He says, until even. And shall not eat of the holy things unless he washes flesh with water. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean and shall afterward eat of the holy things because it is his food. So look, he's, he's telling the, the guys, they, they would make these sacrifices and then they would eat it. That's how they got paid. And God's not asking any of these guys to starve. He's just saying, look, if you're not clean, you got to separate yourself. But then he said, until even. And then he said this, when the sun is down. Notice verse 7. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean. And that speaks to this idea of the fact that God gives us the opportunity to be able to get right with God. The fact that God gives us that when you sin and when you uh, uh, decide to go down the road of sinning and doing wrong, you don't have to stay that way. You can get right. You can make it right. And that's what he's saying when he talks about the uncleanness lasting until even, until the sun goes down. Because in the Bible, whenever a new day begins, it gives us this idea of being able to start over. In fact, go to Lamentations just real quickly. Lamentations chapter number 3. Lamentations chapter number 3. And notice verse 22. You find this idea throughout throughout the Bible, but the clearest verse for it is probably Lamentations. Which if you can find those big books towards the end of your Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. The big ones are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Between uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you have the small book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. And look at verse number 22. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And look, you need to understand, that is the truth. It is, it is just because God is merciful that He does not just, you know, send down fire from heaven and consume all of us. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Notice verse 23. They are new. Notice every morning. And then we, we sing that great song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It comes from Lamentations 3. The fact that God's faithfulness... His faithfulness gives us a new start. God says every time the sun goes down, every time the the, the sun comes up, whenever a new morning, he said, see that as a new opportunity because his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You don't have to turn there, but you know the verse, 1 John 1, 9, says if we confess our sins, he is faithful, right? Great is, uh, great is thy faithfulness. He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the truth. You can get right with God whenever you want. As soon as you're ready to confess it, as soon as you're ready to deal with it, as soon as you're ready to, to God says, look, I will be faithful. And he said, in fact, the fact that you go to bed and wake up every day is a picture of the fact that God allows you to start over every day. So just because you fail today doesn't mean tomorrow has to be a failure. And even like in marriage, you know, you got to consider this because the Bible talks about not allowing your, uh, the sun to go down upon your wrath. You know, and if, you, if you're fighting with your spouse, don't carry that over to the next day. You know, if the mercies of the Lord are new every day, our mercies ought to be new every day. I used to have a pastor who say, you know, get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. And, you know, before you take your shoes off and go to bed, just make that right with your spouse. So try to make it right. Don't every day just look at it as an opportunity to start over. And, and look, today maybe, today maybe you messed up. Today maybe you did wrong. 
but you can confess that. And that's what God is teaching us here through the priest because he's saying, you're unclean, so I got to separate you. But he said, just until even. He said, I got to separate you, but just until the sun goes down, until the next day, because there's a picture there of an opportunity to get right with God. But there's more to getting God, right with God than just taking the opportunity. Go back to Leviticus 22. Look at verse number 6. Notice what he says. Leviticus 22 and verse 6. Leviticus 22.6 says this, The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean unto even, and shall not eat of the holy things, notice what it says, unless he wash his flesh with water. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean, and shall afterward eat of the holy things, because it is his food. So not only did they have to wait till the sun went down, because the mercies of the Lord are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. But he also had to wash himself in water. Again, we see that pictured in the New Testament. Go, go, let's go to the book of Ephesians. And I know we're turning to a lot of places, but let's, uh, let's, we're supposed to be studying the Bible. So go, go to Ephesians chapter 5. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse number 26. Here we're told that the priest was supposed to physically wash their bodies. Because obviously, you know, if they touch a dead body, it's probably a good thing to wash your body. But there's a, a, a picture for that or an application for that in the New Testament for us. And it's this, Ephesians 5, verse number 26. Ephesians 5, 26. Here you have the Bible saying this about the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. It says that he might sanctify and notice, cleanse it with the washing of the water. Notice, by the word. John 17, 17 says, says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Psalm 19 says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. See, it is the word of God. See, you, you say, well, what do I do? Uh, how, how is it that I can approach to God? Every day, you see every day as a new opportunity to say, you know what? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. And then you get in this word and you allow it to wash you and you allow it to clean you. And look, here's what it comes down to. You and I have been taught a lot of wrong things. I mean, just by, just, just by the culture we live in, the society we live in, you know, your parents may have, they didn't have a bad intention, but they taught you wrong things, they taught you wrong philosophies, the, uh, you know, at work you're taught wrong things, the media, if you allow the television to program you, it will program you. And it causes you to think certain ways, to do certain things, to have certain desires. And God says, I want you to take my word and allow it to cleanse you and allow it to wash you and allow it to reprogram you and allow it to help you to identify, wow, I didn't realize that was sin. Wow, I didn't realize God doesn't want me to do that. Wow, I didn't realize. And and when you get in the word and you see every day as an opportunity, you'll be able to draw nigh to God and you'll be able to know how to get right with God. Go back to Leviticus 22. We see, first of all, God teaching the priest, here's how you approach God. You must approach him in a state of holiness, cleanliness, sanctifying yourself, cleansing your hands, you sinners, purifying your hearts, you double-minded. And then he says, but when you do get unclean, when you do sin, you can make it right by washing yourself. You say, how do we do that as you says believer? You wash yourself in the word. You approach to God as a new opportunity. You confess your sins to Him. There's a third thing we see in Leviticus 22, and He talks about how to care for your family. He talks about how to care 
for your family in regards to caring for your family or leading your family for God. So he teaches them how to approach God. He teaches them how to get right with God. Then he teaches them how to lead their families for God. Notice what he says in Leviticus number 22. And he emphasizes one thing for the priest, and it's something that our society today refuses to emphasize or even acknowledge uh, today. But notice what it says, Leviticus 22, 7. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean, and shall afterward eat of the holy thing, he says this, because it is his food. So God says, I'm not trying to take their food away from them. They work hard. They should eat. But when they're unclean, they have to wait till even. They have to wash themselves. Then they can eat. But then he kind of uses that to, uh, to bring him into this idea of the priest getting paid and how they get paid by doing the work of the, uh, of, of the tabernacle. They actually take that food and eat it. They take it home. And then he talks about how they provide for their families. Notice verse 8. That which dieth of itself or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself therewith. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my notices, lest they bear sin for it. And die therefore, if they profane it, I the Lord do sanctify them. Notice verse 10. There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. A sojourner of the priest or an hired servant, someone who is not a family member, some, a sojourner, someone who's just kind of, who's traveling and he's just kind of staying with them. They've got a guest staying with them. Or a hired servant, someone they hired to work, you know, for their family. He says, shall not eat of the holy things. Here's what he's saying. When the priests get paid, because they work, that food is holy and he says, I don't want you giving it to just any stranger, any foreigner, even if you hire someone, even if they're sojourning, don't give them of that food because that's holy. But notice what he says in verse 11. But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. He that is born in his house, they shall eat of his meat. So notice, he says, your family can eat of it. He that is born of his house because here's what he's teaching them. As a priest, you're supposed to care and provide for your family. It's interesting to me that today you've got, you know, so-called religions like the Roman Catholic Church that says, oh, we've got priests, you know, like Levitical priests. We've got priests too. But they say, you know, our priests are not supposed to get married. Our priests are, you know, they only have children from their, you know, whoremongering adultery. But, you know, they, they say we're not supposed to get married. But here's what's funny about that is that the priests in the Bible were supposed to get married and have children and take care of them. And he that is born in his house, they shall eat of it. So we see how God is dealing with this idea of taking care of and providing for your family. And let me just say this also, because a lot of times people will attack the Bible by saying, oh, the Bible teaches slavery. Notice verse 11. But if the priest buy any, any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. But I want you to understand, you know, in Scripture, when you have this idea of being able to purchase someone to work for you, notice that they were to treat them like family. He says, a sojourner can't eat of it, but, if, but the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. He said, and he that is born in his house. So he said, when you, when you, all I want you to understand is what, what the Bible teaches in regards to what they want to call slavery is nothing like, you know, the slavery that you're taught of in America, you know, the slavery that happened in the United States of America. The slavery that happened in the United States of America was terrible. All right. It was not of God. It was not, you know, something that God that that is not what God set up. So to compare the two, OK, is not the same because those people were treated like property. 
In the Bible, they're supposed to be treated like family. They were supposed to be respected. And it wasn't ever long term. It was for a certain amount of years. And it was usually because they were in debt or something like that. And, and, and you often saw the, the person themselves wanting to stay for their uh, lifetime with, their, um, with, with their, their, their master. So go, go to 1 Timothy with me um, in the New Testament. Let me show you a couple of things how this correlates to us in the New Testament as well. This idea of providing for your family. Because you know today, when you get up and say, hey, men are supposed to provide for their families, people will act like, oh, you're some sort of male chauvinist. You know, when you say that, wives are supposed to be keepers at home. That they're supposed to guide the house. That they're supposed to stay home and care for the house, and care for the children, and men are supposed to provide. But look, that's what the Bible says. And whether people like it or not, whether people uh, want to accept it or not, you can't get past that that's what the Bible teaches. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 8. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Why don't you notice that the Bible says, look, you're worse than a heathen. You're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than an infidel when you are someone, when you are a male that is not providing for his own and especially for those of his own house. God has commanded men to provide for their families. And he's telling the priests, provide for your family. Take care of your family. You purchase a slave, they're part of your family now. Take care of them. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. You're there in 1 Timothy. Just uh, go, go, go forward to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice verse number 6. Today you've got a bunch of men in our society that just do not want to work. They don't want to get up. They don't want to work hard. They, don't want, they, can, they can't even provide for themselves, much less a family. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, notice what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, now we command. I want you to notice that word command. It doesn't say, let, let me give you a suggestion. It doesn't say, let, let me give you my opinion. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says, that ye withdraw. What's it mean to withdraw? To come away from. He says that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. God, the Bible's telling us here, when a brother walks disorderly, you are to withdraw yourself from that brother. And you know, honestly, I, I've, obviously I've read these verses, I've known these verses, but these verses have not become alive to me as, as, as much as they've become alive to me in, in re- recent, recently here at our church. Because, you know, the Bible is telling you when a brother is walking disorderly, you are to withdraw from them. And, and here's the question. What does it mean to walk disorderly? What does that mean? Well, notice he's going to answer it for us. Notice what he says. And not after the traditions which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. That's, that's leadership, by the way. Today, you guys, you, guys, you, don't, you don't want to follow anybody. I don't want to be led by a dictator. Well, you know what? You're supposed to be led by somebody. You're supposed to follow somebody. You're supposed to be led by somebody. I hate to break it to you, but, you know, you don't find constitutional republic in the, in the Bible. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Notice what it says. For we behave not ourselves disorderly. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Now, because the question is, what does it mean to walk disorderly? Well, he's gonna, he just told us, we didn't behave. Paul is saying, I didn't behave myself disorderly among you. 
And now in verse 8, he's going to start telling us what he did. So whatever Paul did was the opposite of walking disorderly. Notice what he did. Verse 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for not. The word not means for nothing. Okay, so when he's going to describe for us what it means to not walk disorderly, he says, here's what it means to not walk disorderly. Neither did we eat any man's bread for not. He said, we didn't eat any bread without making sure we paid for it. Without making sure that they invested money into it, that they did something for it. They weren't just, they weren't just freeloaders, you know, just coming in. Notice what he says. Neither did we eat any man's bread for not, but raw. You see that word raw? That's an old word. It just means this, work. He said, here's what we did. Because he said, we didn't walk disorderly. You said, what does that mean, Paul? Well, here's what that means. I didn't walk disorderly, and here's what I did. I did not eat any man's bread for nothing. I wrought, I worked, notice these words, with labor and travail night and day. You say, why? That we might not be chargeable. That's that idea of for not. He said, I didn't want to be a burden to you. I didn't want to be a cost to you. I wanted to be able to, 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 to make sure that, that I was uh, putting something into this thing, not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Notice verse 10. So he just got done telling us, withdraw from a brother that's disorderly. We didn't walk disorderly. Let me tell you what we did. And then he tells you, here's what we did. Basically, it comes down to one word. We worked. That's what he said. Now, in verse 10, he's going to tell you what, he's going to start explaining to you what it means to walk disorderly. Notice verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we suggested you. Is that what it says? No. This we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, and look, I'm not telling you we're going to do this, but we might need to start putting a sign by the donuts on Sunday morning. <laughs> did, did you work? And look, if you didn't work, that's fine, but maybe we just, some of these guys, maybe we just make them sweep the back or something so they can earn themselves a donut so that they don't need any man's bread for not, so that they're not chargeable unto you. I mean, look, that's what it says. Notice, notice what he says, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some... Isn't this just applicable today in 2017? For we hear on YouTube that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all. Notice this, but our busybodies. Now usually, usually when you see the word busybody in the Bible, it's in reference to a female. But notice what God does. He says, a man that doesn't work, it's, it's, they're a busybody. They've got a whole lot of time for a whole lot of videos. They've got a whole lot of time for a whole lot of nothing, but they're not accomplishing anything. Amen. He says they're busybodies. And listen to me. This is what God is referring to. He's referring to the plague in the United States of America today called chronic unemployment. And look, I'm not talking about people. Obviously, people go through times of struggle when it's hard for them to find work and they're looking for work. They desire to work and they just aren't able to. We understand that. But that is not the same as these men today, these busy, you know, these males today, we shouldn't even call them men, these males today, these busybodies that are just chronically unemployed just for a year and a half, just not working. 
And it's not that they can't find work, it's that they're not willing to take work. Or they'll work somewhere for like a month, then be unemployed for like eight months, then they'll work somewhere for three weeks, then be unemployed for eight months. God says, you know what, you should withdraw yourself from these people. Because you know what they end up, you know what they end up doing? It's just being busybodies. And it's interesting to me how we recently had a group of guys leaving. You know what the common denominator was with all of them? A chronic, a chronic unemployment. I wonder why they were a bunch of busybodies. And it's not, and again, it's not that they're not looking, I'm not talking about someone who's just looking for work and lost their job or whatever. It, they don't want to find work. And let me just, you say, how do you know, you know, you single ladies that are going to be finding men to marry, let me help you out. You say, well, how do I know that if a guy is just chronically unemployed? Let me give you their key word, all right? Their key word, when they're telling you about employment, just listen for this word, because this is what these guys want to say. They say, well, I'm looking for gainful employment. And, you know, I used to think to myself, like, gainful employment? Because gainful means, like, you're making a profit. I thought to myself, like, isn't all employment gainful? I mean, they pay you at McDonald's. I think that's gainful employment. But here's, here's, here, let me just translate for you what they mean by that. Gainful employment translation is, you know, it's got to make me like six figures or it's got to have like all the benefits. It's, it, it, I, I won't take any job. It's got to be like the, per, it's got to be worth me rolling out of bed, you know, in the morning and getting my rear end to work and combing my hair and making my bed and getting to work. And if it's not worth that, then just forget it. But you know what? That's not scriptural. Because Proverbs 14.23 says this, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of lips tendeth only to punery. You know what I've noticed? When you, want, when you talk to these guys that work hard, that start businesses, or they're just good employees, they work, you know, they don't have a lot of time to just sit there and, and just flap their lips about everything. You know, the talk of the lips is punery, it's punery, the Bible says. And the Bible says, in all labor there. And you know, here's the thing. If you can't find work, you know what you should do? You should take the first job that's offered to you. Amen. Say, well, the first job's not that great. Well, then you'll be motivated to get a better job. But to sit there and just say, well, I've been unemployed for a year and a half because I can't find gainful employment. Just translation, you got a busybody. Translation, you've got a, 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 a female and a male's body. And look, again, I'm not talking about people, if you're retired, you worked your entire life, enjoy your retirement. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people with disabilities. I'm not talking about someone who literally wants to find work, is looking for work, wants to support their family, is just not able to. We understand that things happen, and sometimes even careers in America will, will, will you know, People have to get retrained and do. I'm not talking about those situations. But when you got these guys who are just not looking for work, they don't want to work, the Bible calls them busybodies. Say, why? Because they're busybodies. Look verse 12. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says that with quietness. I wonder why he emphasizes, like, just stop talking. No one wants to watch the video, no one cares. That with quietness they work and eat their own bread. And if any obey not our word. Obey what word? Because look, he's saying, if you don't obey our word, what word? Well, look at verse 12. We command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. That's the command. Work quietly. 
Work without causing problems. Work without being a busybody. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, notice what it says. Note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. That's what the Bible says. And look, God's telling the Old Testament priests, you need to just work and provide for your families. And then he's, you know what he tells the New Testament priests? You need to work. If you're a man, you should work. And again, we're not talking about disabilities. We're not talking about retirement. We're not talking about people who are, who are actually trying to find work and aren't able to. But when you have this attitude like, well, you know, it's been, it's been three years. I can't find gainful employment. It's like, well, in and out hiring? Oh, well, you know. I want to rise up against the government, but I'm only willing to take a government job. How does that work? How does that make sense to anybody? Go back to Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22, look at verse 12. I'm only willing to take a government job that pays 80000 a year, has benefits. Just go work. In all labor, there is profit. Leviticus 22, look at verse 12. And do it quietly. And don't complain. Leviticus 22, look at verse 12. He continues his idea of providing for your family. And look, sometimes these guys want to complain. Like, I can't find a wife. I wonder if God doesn't allow you to find a wife because you're not qualified because you can't even provide for yourself. Maybe you've got a job. Maybe God would be like, oh, wow, this guy's working. Let me bless him with a, jo- with a wife. Because why would he put that curse on a, on, a, on a young lady that loves the Lord and have to have that curse of now I'm married to this loser that he sure knows how to talk a lot but doesn't do anything. Leviticus 22, look at verse 12. Notice what he says, if the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger. So I want you to notice how he talks about the leadership roles. If the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger, she may not eat of an offering of the holy thing. So notice, he was supposed to allow his, uh, the, the family was supposed to eat of it, but as soon as the daughter got married, she was no longer allowed to eat of dad's food. You say, Why? Because husband's supposed to take care of her. That's what the Bible says. That's what he's saying. Notice verse 13. But if the priest's daughter be a widow or divorced, if the priest's daughter, her husband dies or she gets divorced and have no child and is returned unto the father's house, she returns to her father's house under her father's authority as in her youth. She shall eat of her father's meat, but there shall no stranger eat thereof. So look, it's very clear. He says, look, as soon as your daughters get married, husband's supposed to take care of her. And by the way, those of you that have daughters, make sure your daughters don't marry somebody that doesn't have a job. I, won't, you know, I actually, as a rule, will not perform a wedding for a guy that's unemployed. Because the Bible says they're supposed to provide. That's like, the, that's like one of the main things they're supposed to be doing as a husband. Why would you get married and not do that? Genesis uh, 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And by the way, let me say this. You know what? And, and, and you ladies, you, you, you should be encouraged by this. If you live, you say, well, we live very modestly, you know, praise the Lord for that, number one. You know, that's a, that's a good thing. You shouldn't be covetous. But, you know, you say, we, we live modestly. Our house is not the nicest or our vehicles aren't the nicest. Look, if you are a stay-at-home wife and your husband is providing, and look, I don't care if you're eating rice and beans every day. If your husband is providing, he is doing something that most males in this country are not doing. Amen. You got to be thankful that your, that your husband can provide for you. 
You say, well, all we eat is top ramen. Then just praise the Lord for it. You know, sanctify it through the word of God and prayer. And, and just eat it and, and be, and, and, and be uh, content. Because, you know, because honestly, because in our society today, you know what these guys want to do? They want to go live off the government. Or they want to send their wives off to work. But today, today you've got men. I mean, you got our, our, this room is filled with men that refuse the government, refuse their wives working, and somehow make it happen. And the altar is stacked against them. And it's actually not what God desires in this culture. And you say, how do you do it? Man, God, God's blessing you. And, you know, maybe your house is falling apart. My house is falling apart. But just praise the Lord for it. And just praise God that, that we can do those things. Go, go back to Leviticus 22. Let's, let's finish this up. So we, we talked about uh, how to approach to God. And we talked about how to get right with God. We talked about how to lead a family for God. But lastly, let's talk about how to sacrifice to God. Because he, he starts talking about bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. Let me just do this real quickly. There are basically two qualifications for an acceptable sacrifice that he tells us in this passage. The first one is the willingness of the sacrifice. Notice verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his, notice this key word, free will offering. It was something that was supposed to be done freely of your own will, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. He shall offer, notice this, at your own will, a male without blemish of the beeves or uh, of the sheep, of the goats, but whatsoever hath the blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offers the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a free will, notice the emphasis, offering, a free will offering in the beeves or sheep, it shall be perfected to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scab, you shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar of the Lord, either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in his parts that mayest thou offer for a, notice, free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be uh, accepted. Look, let's skip down to verse 29. Notice what it says. And when you will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it, notice, at your own will. So you see the emphasis is that you're supposed to do it willingly. And in the New Testament, we're told that we should give out of a cheerful heart. That we, sh- we should give willingly. And look, when you give to the work of God, when you give to the things of God, you should do it willingly. You should do it with the right heart. And if your heart's not in it, then just keep your money because God says it's only acceptable if it's willing. So the two characteristics, one is that it must be done willingly, but the second characteristic is this, is that it must be worth something. Notice what he says in verse 19. Ye shall offer at your own will a male, notice what he says, without blemish. Look at verse 20. But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. Notice verse 21. And whosoever offereth the sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect. The word perfect meaning complete. To be accepted, there shall be no blemish therein. Notice verse 22. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scab, you shall not offer these unto the Lord. Skip down to verse number 24. Notice what it says. You shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed 
or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offerings thereof in your land. So see, he's saying you got to give something, God, that's actually worth giving to him. Go to Malachi just real quickly. We'll, we'll finish up here. Malachi chapter 1. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Here's what he was telling the Old, the Old Testament priests. He was saying, when you're going to give a sacrifice, you look over at your cattle, and you see this strong, healthy, you know, animal, and then you see this one over here limping, or blind, or diseased. Don't, he said, don't get, say, well, that's the one I'm going to give to God. He says, that's not acceptable. He said, if you're going to give to God, if you're going to do, he says, it has to be of, of your own accord, of, of your own will, freely, your, the, that your heart wants to do it. And then he says, it needs to be something that's actually worth something, not something that's just you're giving him, you know, what you didn't want. Malachi chapter 1, look at verse 7. Here, this, is, this idea is emphasized again. Malachi 1-7. Ye offer polluted bread. They were supposed to offer bread. Could you imagine you, you bring the bread to God that's moldy? It's like, you're going to throw it away anyway. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, you're bringing a, a, a lamb you're bringing an ox, you're bringing, uh, 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 you know, uh, an animal to sacrifice, but you bring the, bl- the one that's blind, the one that you weren't going to do anything with anyway. He says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. He says, look, if the governor, if the president of the United States goes to dinner, he said, offer him that for dinner. See how they'll like that. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And look, today as New Testament believers, we don't give God, you know, animal sacrifices, of course. We don't give God, um, you know, animals. So you could say, well, this doesn't apply to me. But you know what we do give to God? We give him of our time and of our talents and of our treasure. And make sure when you give to God, make sure, number one, you're doing it from a right attitude. From, from a heart that desires, from a free will that wants to give to God. And then also make sure you give God something that's worth something. You know, that you're not just giving Him the leftovers. You're actually making Him a priority. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these uh, chapters in the Bible uh, that we can still see the correlations in the New Testament and apply them. And Lord, I pray that you would just fill our church with men that love to work and that are not afraid to work. And Lord, that you would continue to bless us and help us. I pray for this weekend with all the work that will go into soul winning. Thank you for the women around here that just work hard. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless the soul winning, bless the family and friend day, continue to bless our church. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.